Hey there, Playbookers. I'm Raghu Munavalan. Today's show, Fox News, Don Lemon, and an opening in Biden's cabinet. Here are the big things we're watching on Friday, February 17th. Don Lemon may just be the luckiest man in cable TV. The CNN This Morning co-anchor set the media and political worlds ablaze yesterday with his on-air suggestion that GOP presidential contender Nikki Haley wasn't what he claims in her prime at age 51. I think that I think it's the wrong road to go down. She says people, you know, politicians or something are not in their prime. Nikki Haley isn't in her prime. Sorry. When a woman is considered being in her prime in her 20s and 30s and Maybe 40s. What are you talking about? That's not according to me. Prime for what? Uh, it depends. I mean, it's just like prime. If you look it up, it'll. If you look, if you Google when is a woman in her prime, it'll say twenties, thirties, and forties. I don't necessarily. Forties. Oh, I got it. I'm not saying decade. I agree with that. So I think she has to be careful about. Yet by the day's end, the vicious backlash to Lemon's remarks, more on that a little bit later, had been stunningly eclipsed by blockbuster revelations about CNN's chief rival, Fox News, that were revealed in the $1.6 billion lawsuit over Fox's coverage of the 2020 presidential results. The internal communications revealed by Dominion Voting Systems paint a stark and damning picture, a split screen between the false and conspiratorial claims beamed to Fox viewers about rigged Dominion voting machines and the private, candid opinions of the network's hosts and executives, who repeatedly admitted to each other that the claims were utter unsourced garbage. Dominion's 200-page filing not only lays out a tale of rank hypocrisy, but it weaves a broader narrative about what drove the campaign of disinformation, documenting the panic inside the network's ranks after conservative discontent over its early call of Arizona for Joe Biden translated into a viewership boom for its less scrupulous competitor, Newsmax, as an aggrieved Donald Trump lashed out at Fox. As primetime host Tucker Carlson texted his producer just two days after the election, he could easily destroy us if we play it wrong. It was just one of dozens of frank admissions aired by Dominion. We have some of the more eye-popping revelations in today's playbook, but here's the big question. Will Dominion, which is seeking $1.6 billion from a company The New York Times says has about $4 billion cash on hand, win the suit? Defamation cases have a high bar, and Dominion will have to prove actual malice, that the network peddled information it knew it was erroneous or was reckless in not doing its homework to ensure it was accurate. In a statement, Fox News did not directly dispute any of the facts aired in Dominion's filing, but said the company mischaracterized the record, cherry-picked quotes stripped of key context, and spilled considerable ink on facts that are irrelevant under black-letter principles of defamation law. While the filing, which you can read in today's playbook, is more than 200 pages, the choices bits run only 13 pages long, starting on page 14. Worth noting, much of the filing was redacted, so there are surely more revelations to come. The outrage about Don Lemon's Thursday morning remark spread quickly. Conservatives, in particular, seized on Lemon's comment to accuse the media of both blatant sexism and hypocrisy, misogynist language directed at a conservative woman that never would be tolerated if hurled at a female Democratic leader like Hillary Clinton. 
Unsurprisingly, Haley used the attack as fodder for her election bid, and she even engaged in a little trolling of her own. She wrote on Twitter, To be clear, I am not calling for competency tests for sexist, middle-aged CNN anchors, only for people who make our laws and are 75+. plus." Lemon, for his part, apologized several hours later, but it didn't do much to quell yet another bit of blowback, anger from women who work at CNN. Poppy Harlow, Lemon's co-host and longtime friend, walked off the set immediately after his remarks, per the New York Post. Several CNN employees pointed out to Playbook that it's just the latest in a series of sexist slips from Lemon. Back in December, he insisted that the U.S. women's national soccer team should be paid less than the men's despite being more successful. He's reportedly screamed at co-host Caitlin Collins in front of CNN staff, accusing her of interrupting him on air and triggering tensions between the two of them that remain an ongoing challenge for the morning show. And back in November, he appeared to ding his CNN colleague Mel Zanona in the wake of her Big Get interview with Representative Kevin McCarthy suggesting on air that she didn't fact-check the speaker and should have. He also did the same to Collins when she interviewed House Oversight Chair James Comer. One woman at CNN told Playbook, We wish we could speak out, but feel like we can't. Particularly given that CNN has been axing staff and is in the middle of a transition under new CEO Chris Licht. It's worth noting that Lemon will be on paid time off the next couple of days, a break that was announced late on the show yesterday. CNN did not answer Playbook's questions about whether he received or will receive a formal rebuke or sanction. Labor Secretary Marty Walsh confirmed yesterday he plans to leave the White House in March to become executive director for the National Hockey League Players Association. That leaves the question, who will fill his skates as Labor Secretary? Apologies for the bad pun, but West Wing Playbook's co-author, Eli Stokels, is here for a breakdown of potential nominees. Eli, how's it going? I'm doing well. How are you? What are some names you're hearing um, as favorites in the White House for this position? So there are a lot of names that are out there. A lot of folks have floated themselves or had friends and allies uh, float them. Uh, but there's probably only one favorite. Uh, and that person would be Julie Sue, who is currently the Deputy Secretary of Labor. Some of the other names that are out there, former House Speaker Nancy Pelosi uh, put out, Sean Patrick Maloney, former congressman who ran the DTRIP, the DCCC, uh, the Democrats' House campaign arm last cycle, lost his own seat. She threw him out there. Former New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio uh, volunteered himself. There are people looking at uh, former congressman from Michigan, Andy Levin, very pro-labor, um, the flight attendance union president, Sarah Nelson, her name's been out there. Um, mm. Former deputy labor secretary, Chris Liu. Um, there are a lot of names that are out there. The reason that it seems like Julie Sue is in the best position is she's already the number two at the department. Uh, she was already confirmed by uh, 50-50 Senate. Uh, Manchin and Cinema both voted for her. So, you know, she seems like she would be confirmable. She's there. And the diversity piece is really important here. Uh, a lot of Asian American, Asian Pacific um, advocacy groups have pushed hard for Biden to elevate the number two to the number one position here, pointing out that, you know, yes, the trade representative, Catherine Tai, is uh, Asian American but she's not a cabinet secretary. And some of the groups draw a distinction there. Um, they say, you know, for a president who's prized diversity, 
really should have an Asian American in a top cabinet post. Uh, and so there is some pressure there. And I think there's more pressure because Julie Sue's already been through a confirmation process. She's already familiar with the department being the number two with, uh, over at the Labor Department. So I think it's going to be harder for this administration to defend not picking her. Um, and I think that may be, you know, the biggest thing working in her favor. And she's very strong on workers' rights. Progressive groups really like her. Um, and that's also a consideration for a White House that just made uh, Jeff Zients, um, you know, an investment banker, not beloved by the progressives, the chief of staff. Yeah, it's interesting you brought up uh, Jeff Zients there, because one thing that it seems like you can tell me if I'm wrong, um, Joe Biden seems to be kind of a relationships guy. Like he likes working with people he's worked with before, or if maybe not someone he's worked with before, someone that has worked with someone he's already worked with before. You know what I mean? Familiarity and relationships, that's definitely key for, for President Biden. I think, you know, there are certain jobs where he really needs somebody who he knows and trusts uh, and likes in that role. And then there are certain places where I think he's well aware of needing to follow through on that uh, vow he made to make the federal government, especially, you know, the executive branch, more diverse. Um, and, you know, in, in, in filling out the cabinet the first time, right, there were people like Tom Vilsack, who had been ag secretary under Obama, kind of a Biden contemporary, not quite that old, but, but a pal, someone he'd known for a long time from his days on the Hill. Um, he got that job. But there are other jobs that, that you know, can't just go to people that Biden knows well. Um, he's been around Julie Sue a bit. I don't think you would say that he has a strong personal relationship with her. Um, but, you know, has to be some familiarity there. Um, and I think, you know, there are just a number of factors that they're weighing. I'm not sure that, um, you know, finding someone to replace Marty Walsh is going to be the kind of job that Biden um, feels is important enough to him personally that he's going to override some of these other considerations um, and go with someone um, who he really knows well uh, at the risk of alienating various constituency groups heading into his own reelection campaign, most likely. Like you mentioned earlier, um, a reelection campaign might be looming here for President Biden. Uh, there was the recent appointment of Lael Brainerd as the new director of the National Economic Council. If people don't know, Brainerd is seen as more of a left leaning, you know, has a tough stance on Wall Street, pushed for the Fed to enact policies that deal with climate change. Uh, I'm curious which way the White House will be looking here when it comes to labor. Well, I think that's an interesting um, template or example to if you're reading tea leaves here. Um, you know, I mentioned Zients coming in being the first major change um, at the two-year mark for the administration, not someone beloved by progressives. And so mm -hmm. I was told, you know, I have sources in the administration who said, look, um, needing to, you know, placate those groups who are frustrated about Zients going in, that was a big part of some of these other uh, decisions. That was a big reason why Lyle Brainerd was the front runner and ultimately got the job uh, to replace Brian Deese atop the, the NEC. And so I think with the labor uh, job as well, especially because that's such an important Democratic constituency and an important constituency for Biden, um, he's going to need to put someone there who has a really strong, um, strong record on workers' rights. And I think a lot of these people fit that bill. You know, I, it's not as though there's some sort of... Uh, you know, Joe Manchin style um, candidate who's going to put their hand up to run the Labor Department in a Joe Biden administration. They'll all be pretty good on workers' rights. Um, and I think they, they probably will go with the, the person who they feel like is um, the farthest they can get sort of somebody who's a real strong advocate for workers' rights who can also get confirmed. And I think 
they need to be talking and probably will be talking if they're not already to Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin. Those two voted uh, for Julie Sue the first go round, but that was when she was being confirmed as the deputy. A little more scrutiny on someone who's leading the department, who's actually being elevated to the cabinet. Um, and, you know, both of those lawmakers are going into potentially, they haven't announced their plans yet, potentially going into re-election cycles uh, in tough races, both of them. And so it's no guarantee they will vote again for Julie Sue, even though they have before. Democrats with a 51 seat majority in the Senate have a slightly larger majority. They could afford to lose one of those lawmakers, not both. But, you know, I think at the end of the day, they're going to do their homework. They're going to talk to these key uh, swing votes in the Senate, and they're going to figure out who is the most progressive person they can put in this uh, job who is also going to get Senate confirmed. Eli Stokels, White House correspondent, co-author of West Wing Playbook. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Here's what's up in Washington today, starting with the White House. At 10.15 a.m. Eastern, Vice President Kamala Harris will meet with German Chancellor Olaf Scholz. At 11 a.m., Harris will meet with French President Emmanuel Macron. At 12.05, Harris will host a reception with members of the U.S. congressional delegations and Secretary of State Antony Blinken at the Commerce Bank. The House and the Senate are out today. All right, for more news on what's breaking in D.C. right now, subscribe to the Playbook newsletter. That's at politico.com slash playbook. Our music is composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Playbook's editor is Mike DeBonis. Zach Staten is Playbook's deputy editor. The executive producer and head of audio here at Politico is Jenny Ament. I'm Rogu Manavalan. We're out for the holiday, so we'll see you first thing Tuesday morning. Tuesday morning.